This, this is look, dude. I gotta tell you, there was no way. Knowing everything I knew, there's no way I could have ever seen myself ever even considering going back into faith. But yet, it happened. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the channel. Today, we're here with a very special guest. And I know I'd say that for every guest that's on the show, but this one's truly unique. Um, we haven't really had anyone on like this quite before. Um, his name is Stephen Pinecker, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Awesome. Um, and so you run a podcast slash YouTube channel called Mormon Book Reviews. Um, mm -hmm. And you have, you started it pretty recently. What was it, three months ago four, or half a year ago? Oh, no, no. It was, it was about, it's, it's, it, uh, my first episode was March of 2021. So okay. it's been a little less than two years now. Okay. So, yeah. But yeah, not very young, pretty young. He's got, he's got a good amount of subscribers. Um, but I think the point is the people you're speaking to is a very unique audience. It's a very... There's a lot of atheists. There's a lot of people from all sides because your story is so um, kind of crazy in a way, to be honest. Um, so you focus on, you're kind of obsessed with Mormonism, which we'll talk about. Um, and that's kind of why this channel exists. Um, but your story, just to kind of give everyone a bit of a teaser here, is you you grew up in a Christian church. You you know, you accepted Jesus. Um, and from what I understand, um, you had... You had some some desires that you thought were unholy, um, and you kind of fell out of Christianity. You were you were at a hotel, funny enough, and you saw some paintings of <laughs> depicting Mormonism that really interested you. Um, that kind of maybe started the curiosity for that, um, and then from there you kind of fell into an atheist. But this whole time you're still researching Mormonism. You're interested in it, and then the big plot twist at the end is where you come back to Christianity. Um, through all of that, through depression, through same-sex attraction, through all this stuff, you come back to Christianity, and now you have this, would you call it a ministry, or? You know, it's interesting because I didn't think it was a ministry, mm -hmm. but then people started telling me it was a ministry. Okay. See, I didn't seek after ministry. I know too many people that want a ministry. I was running away. From, I've been running away from ministry all my life. Yeah. I've been running away from my calling all my life. Okay. And, uh, but you know, <laughs> in the end he got me, man. <laughs> and yeah. so it's, it's evolved into a ministry, but I want to make this very clear, especially to those who are members of the restoration, all the branches, including church, Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. God did not put me in here to say to proselytize. He said, I want you to talk with them and have conversations okay. and learn, okay. be willing to learn from them as well as to learn from you. And because of that opens that, that, that they call me the Switzerland of Mormonism now. Right. This is a safe space. That it's the only Mormon podcast. Yes, it's a. I ha, I am a Mormon podcaster, but I'm not a Mormon. Mm. But it's the only Mormon podcast that everybody is welcome to come to, and it's become a remarkable place where remarkable conversations have been happening. And so for me, that's confirmation from God that I'm doing His will. And then I have I I literally I had a, a, a gentleman reach out to, emailed me last night. He's from Alabama, raised Baptist. Uh, became an atheist and now just recently became a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And he said, I love your channels. Help me. Now I'm not, it's not my I'm not, I don't know what the Lord's doing here, right? But see, the Lord's in control. It's not because see the flesh, the flesh, the natural man would say, Well, I gotta save that person. Mm. See, that's the flesh. No, no, no. I don't gotta do nothing. He does the work. Amen. And we allow him to do the work through us. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I have a, a friend who's a polygamist, and he said, I met my wife. Watch, she watched your program, and that's how I met my wife. Now, he's just married to one woman. He finally found his first wife. 
well, this is weird, right? That uh, the polygamist is giving credit for my channel for finding him a wife. <laughs> nice. So, Match so, so me, the way the way I see it, if man couldn't plan it, then the Lord probably did it. Right? He did the planning, and that's, that's cool. how I see it. Operate under that. Uh, that that's how I operate. That's cool. So, if you guys are wondering how I know already this much about Stephen, um, he was on a show called Mormon Stories, um, which is one of the biggest Mormon, I guess, where people come and kind of tell their story. Um, but you did like a five part series. So it's around, I don't know how many hours, like 10 hours long, something like that crazy amount. So I, I didn't read, I didn't listen to everything, but I, I, I heard enough to be like, okay, this is a very interesting story. And you you were literally sharing the gospel on this show. That's pretty much about, you know, people talking about why they don't believe. Right. So it's a very, very, very cool. Um, and I, I'd love to hear more of your story. So I think with that being said, um, I think we'll let you take it away. Maybe just start. We don't have okay. 10 hours on this podcast, right? So maybe right. maybe speed up your story into maybe a 10-minute okay. segment or something like that. And I think that'd be all awesome. Right. And so, we'll ask questions as oh, we go. That sounds great. First of all, I thank Luke, I want to thank you for taking the time to watch those interviews because they were very important. Mm -hmm. And they were considered by many to be some of the best uh, episodes ever on Mormon Stories. You have to understand Mormon Stories, John DeLynn, he is the Joe Rogan of Mormon podcasters. And he gave me a full week of his time. But I also want to thank you for watching it and knowing that I am a gay man still having me on your program. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that because that's important to me because most of my life I lived in hell because like of what the evangelical church put us through, right? Mm -hmm. So this is why I feel the Lord is telling me I'm supposed to work with the youth, both Mormon youth and Christian youth, and reach out to them and talk with them. I feel that's the Lord's, the Lord's leading me in that direction. But just to give you a summation, so I was a young boy, uh, seven, eight years old. I come across the Book of Mormon, and they have these awesome, really, truly awesome paintings by Arnold. And I, I just want to show you a couple, just so you can kind of visualize um, what I was looking at. And these were the, probably the two most impactful. This is Samuel the Lamanite, and these all these uh, soldiers are trying to kill him, and he's preaching the gospel to these people. To the to the now wicked Nephites who were God's chosen people, and then the Lamanites became, and then we have Jesus returning. It looks like the second coming happening in Old Testament times. And I'm a little kid, like, what am I looking at? Right? This is this is looks like the Bible, but it's a different story. And that's what put me on my journey to uh, of interest. And so, starting in high school, I stole my. This is a matter of fact. Um, oh yeah, this is it. Uh, I, I played for a Christian basketball team high school basketball team. And I stole this from a Marriott hotel, which had this, this is the very first book of my collection that I got when I was in high school. And, uh, and I have asked forgiveness from the Mormons and they've given it to me for stealing uh, the, the book of Mormon. <laughs> and, and so, and then when I was in my uh, late teens, early twenties, I started collecting stuff. And then because I was raised Calvinist, I have come, come from a charismatic background and also Calvinist as well. So we know us Calvinists, you know, we like to get in debates, right? We like to argue and we do all this kind of stuff. And I remember just running into a kid at a bookstore, probably around my age. I'm in my early 20s. And at the time, I'm a department head of the weights and measures for a city in Indiana. And I was, I was, I, but I couldn't, I wasn't young, old enough to rent a car. So I just walked over to the world's largest bookstore, Powell's bookstore, and was in, parked myself in front of the, the Mormon section any chance I had. And I ran into this kid who just recently converted to Mormonism. I thought, okay, here I am. I'm going to go. And two hours later, didn't get anywhere. Yeah. And he's a recent convert. And I'm the smart Calvinist know-it-all, right? I should be just lambasting this guy and just showing him where he's wrong. And I wasn't. So then I'm like, okay, now I really got to study Mormonism. 
<laughs> and so I read everything I could get my hands on. So this is my development of as a born again Christian, as somebody who's trying to, you know, not sure what he's doing with Mormonism. He just knows he's interested into it. Then let's fast forward a, a few years later where I have basically kind of like a breakdown. Uh, and I, I enter this dark decade of the soul. And the only thing that kept me alive was my interest in Mormonism. Because people who, who commit suicide, as you if you, when you suffer depression, it's a series of you start losing interest and passion for various things in your life. And eventually you lose passion for everything, including life, and you're not interested in anything. And at that point, you reach that moment of, I just want to end this. Defeat, yeah. And the, and the only thing that kept me from doing that was because this is crazy. I would be severely depressed and I would just consume history books, consume all these things. And so when I went on Mormon Stories, the very final episode of the show was how Mormonism saved an evangelical's life. Because I tell people, I said, I am here because of Joseph Smith. I am here because of the Book of Mormon in the sense that God used the, the, them as tools to keep me here. And I thought, as in, and you got to understand, as, as this period of time is going, I went from evangelical who study Mormonism to atheist who study Mormonism, and now I'm an atheist who's not only am I reading stuff about Mormonism, but I'm 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 reading all the atheist books, I'm reading all science books, so I can educate myself in science. You know, I'm I'm, I'm learning about all these things I wasn't taught as a kid because I was reading relatively fundamentalist kind of background with the, our, our curriculum. And so I'm I'm broadening my horizons and my knowledge in so many other areas as well. And, uh, but the whole atheism thing was just, this, this is, look, dude, I got to tell you, there was no way, knowing everything I knew, there's no way I could have ever seen myself ever even considering going back into faith. Mm. But yet it happened. And I thought that I had de deconstructed the Bible. I thought that I had deconstructed God. But the reality was, it turns out he deconstructed me, made me a new creature, knowing that I have this type A personality, alpha male, no, you know, knows everything and will let you know that he knows everything. He had to break me down and build me up to prepare me for this, what has become a ministry. And so that's why when I look back now, I'm like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. There were times where I was like, I, I'll say it, I was pissed off at myself, right? Because I was re reading all this Mormon stuff. I'm like, why am I, am I doing this? This makes no sense. You're such an idiot and a fool. Because see, when, when you suffer depression, you're your own worst enemy. You attack yourself, mm -hmm. right? And so I would attack myself over this nonsense. Why am I doing this? Well, now, oh, now I get it. Yeah. Now yeah. it all makes sense. But I also know because I'm, I'm hard-headed, big ego, uh, could be a cruel person, you know. I mean, I would make sport of making people feel small. I had a buddy who was a Jehovah's Witness, ex-Jehovah's Witness, and he was a genius. We'd hang out at the bars, and we would just sit there, and, like, if there's somebody over at the bar and they say something and they think they're really smart, we would go and just crush them, crush them, crush them, and make them feel very, very small. Well, that was the spirit that I was operating in, and as a Christian. Wow, Yeah. Well, I wasn't right and operating in the right spirit. And so God had to put me through that whole process to break, to, to kind of show me that, Steve, you got to go through the refiner's fire. And you may not realize that's what you're going through. But that's what that's what that was the process, the deconstruct the, the deconstruction of the old Steve Panicker 
and God made me into a new creature. And that's how that's how he had to do it for me. That's the journey that I had to go through. I do not recommend it for anybody. It was hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, going off that, I want to talk about the reconstruction again, especially, but I think Jonah, yeah. I mean, I have so many questions just from that, but Jonah, do you have any questions for him right now? Um, well, <clears throat> so what, 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 what drew you to like Mormonism? Like really? Like why not any other religion? Why, why Mormonism? Oh, that's a very good question. Because, see, I have, I'm interested in all religions. See, you have to understand, I studied them all. When I was hanging out with the ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, they told me, said, the only way you could know more about us is if you were a member. <laughs> so I took the time to study just about every relig- every Christian religion. But the only one that, say, say I could, I, 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 but I walked away, I, like, I haven't read anything about Jehovah's Witnesses for like 20 years. The only religion I kept going back to that kept my interest and kept on going to that well, that kept on just, amazing me the information I was coming across was Mormonism and so that's the one that stuck unlike all the others uh, but I also know the Lord prepared me because he said Steve I want you to study all these other faiths because now now I'm conversant in, in traditional Catholicism I, I talk to priests I, 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 I have had one of the top Lutheran theologians come on my program the top Pentecostal theologian come on my program so I'm engaging all these other Christian groups and ministries as well and I'm able to converse with them because they know that I, I know this stuff and that I've taken the time to study. And so, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's because I, because I kept on going back to Mormonism, I kept on finding it more interesting than the other, any other Christian group that I was studying. Was the pursuit of researching Mormonism for you the pursuit to find truth or was it just interesting as like someone would find Star Wars interesting? Yeah, like 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 somebody who's like a Civil War buff, yeah, yeah. really loves the Civil War, really okay. interested in it, right? You don't have anything to do with the Civil War. You didn't live there in that time, but you you buy all the books, you read everything, you become a you know, self-taught expert in the field. That's kind of how it was. I think maybe early on, it was because I wanted to convert people. When I was the Calvinist, he was he yeah. was always right and had all the answers. Um, and and that was the initial foray. But as as I'm changing as a person, um, the whole the the my whole perspective on things changed too. And so my 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 the way I approach Mormonism. Is 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 it was from many different directions, okay. and where I was at at that point in my life. So, what's your perspective on it now, like as a whole? Um, where do you where do you stand in uh, the faith spectrum? I guess. You know, I take a very unique approach because what I'm trying to do is, you know, one of the things the Lord showed me was it was kind of a, a thought was, you know, when when we're dealing with our opponents, um we always look for the devil in them or the devil in the details. We're looking for the things they get wrong. Mm. And the Lord said, "You don't look for the devil, look for the Jesus. So when I talk to Mormons, and even Jericho's are coming to me, how do I talk to Mormons? I say, this is how you talk to Mormons. If you want to really engage Mormons, say, ask them what their favorite Book of Mormon story is. Ask them what their favorite Bible story is. And then ask them, who is Jesus to you? Conversation on Jesus. Yep. With anybody you're talking to, and not about you go to the wrong church. You, you guys, they they believe this, 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 and that. And you'll talk to many Mormons and say, you know what they teach, but I don't believe that, right? And we know plenty of people that go to the churches that they don't agree 100 with what the pastor's saying. So I think we had to come with this with grace, and also ex- acknowledge the fact that the grace of God is so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. It's beyond any category or box that we we have put we've put the labels up. We've 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 put the people in the boxes, but God is not doing that. Yeah, He sees His children all everywhere. 
I think about and the story so Lord, always of Jesus and the Samaritans, right? The Jewish right. people hated the Samaritans, but Jesus always went back to them. The woman at the well, you know, all those those parables he told of like, no, this is what it really means to love, right? It doesn't matter mm-hmm. where they're coming from. So that that's that's cool. Um, yep. What would you say are the biggest differences between, let's say, Mormonism and maybe, I don't know which category of Christianity, but more ma- mainstream Christianity? Like, what are the biggest differentials on that coming from your yeah, so, genius perspective? Because, you know, way more yeah, than you. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there are a lot of differences, of course. Now, um, you know, what are the different? Let's just say, let's let's compare and contrast. Since it's an evangelical encounters of restoration, let's, let's compare and contrast evangelicalism with Mormonism and in particular the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Because there's hundreds, there are literally hundreds of different churches and denominations that use the Book of Mormon as their scripture oh, and wow. Joseph Smith as their founder. But I but, but we'll talk about the big ones and that's the best one, best known one. They are different than us. And they do uh have teach doctrines that are not would be considered part of the mainstream biblical Christianity. Let's get that out of the way. Okay. And they don't believe they don't teach the Trinity uh, they don't, you know, they they don't accept any of the creeds, early creeds of the churches, because they believe that the church apostatized almost shortly after the death of the apostles. So they believe that the church has been there in error and had need, had a need for the restoration. And but this is the key thing. What I like to bring about is that the Mormons look at the Protestant Reformation as a forerunner to the restoration. So they feel there's great wisdom and knowledge and things that they can learn from the reformers. So they they're not. Uh, they're not not open to engaging Martin Luther and all these other uh, reformers as well. So that's an important thing because they feel that that served as a forerunner to their church. Okay, but it's a it's it's a very top down thing because they have a prophet. They have a prophet, one prophet, who basically he's he 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 gives the revelations. He can give us new scripture, and and he's the sole spokesperson on earth who has the authority. And then it's a very hierarchical patriarchal structure. And, and so it's, and it's very much a bureaucracy. It's in, and it's, it's kind of a top down thing. Although there is some, there is some, uh, there, there is some, some ability on the local level to have some say on things, how they happen too. So it's, it's a lot different because see, for us, if we, if we have a problem with something that the Methodist pastors did or said at the church service, we'd just go down the street to the Presbyterian church or go, or go a little further down the road to the non-denom, right? And nobody cares. But if you leave their church, then there's a lot of consequences. So it's what is called a high, what some would categorize as anthropologists or what would sociologists would say, this is a high demand religion because it puts a lot on the people. There is a lot of works involved that they that they do and the ordinances and see, things that they do in the temple. And then they also do the word of wisdom. So they're supposed to refrain from like for a long time, they couldn't even drink Coca-Cola. Oh, wow. But they have to refrain from coffee, um, tobacco, uh, alcohol. Yeah. And all these kind of things. So they so they so they do have like these practices, dietary practices that they have to follow in order to be temple worthy, to be have a temple recommend, to then go in do these what they would consider sacred ordinances uh in in in, in the temples. So then they also have temples, right? Like in our belief is, you know, the God put that up that when the when we had the destruction of the temple in AD 70, not only the the, the Christian world acknowledged no need for temples, but the Jewish world in one sense acknowledge there was no need for a temple because they haven't they've been going for 2000 years without one yep. you know so but that's what makes mormonism so, so unique is that they actually are doing temple right practices and stuff so there's a lot of stuff here flat out completely foreign to us completely and they come thing from and they have their own bible if you will they have their own scriptures this is an audacious book it takes a lot of guts to grow up in the 19th century christian world full of everybody who knows the bible everybody knows the bible and 
And and this guy, this this thing comes out and makes a bold statement that we got scripture about writing about the history of the new world. Uh, it's an audacious book. So correct me if i'm wrong but i think like the biggest contradiction or the biggest difference uh, between christianity and mormonism is that <clears throat> that one verse in second nephi um by uh, by by works which oh, after all we can all, do off to, after all we can do yeah yeah well this is what's so interesting so i'm tomorrow i'm going to be interviewing jackson washburn who's a, a mdiv at harvard uh divinity school and he, interestingly enough, was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. At the age of 12, his mother becomes an evangelical convert. So from most of his formative years throughout high school, he's going to his Mormon ward, and he's going to an evangelical church every Sunday. <laughs> and Jackson loves the Protestant view of grace. So Jackson wants to take the ideas that Protestantism had have about grace. It's not works, but grace by what we're saved by, Right. He's trying to integrate that into Mormon theology, and, and Jackson is a superstar. I mean, this guy is going to be writing Mormon theology in the 21st century. And guess who's going to have his ear? I'm going to be talking to him, too. Yeah. And I'm going to tell him that, you know, and he, but he recognizes the importance of grace and that that's what differentiates Christianity from all other religions, is that it's not what we do, it's what he did for us at Calvary, yeah. right? Well, this is, you got to understand something. It was only the mainstream, that Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that really pushed the after all we can do. Because if you look at that verse in its context, and all the verses surrounding it, before and after, talk about it's all Jesus, it's him, it's not about us, it's not about our works. And and so now, all the other groups that believe in the Book of Mormon do not believe that, that's, that it teaches works. They're grace-based. And now, over the course of the last 20, 30 years, there's been a shift in Mormon theology that's moving away from legalism and works and towards grace. Wow. So so that is a difference, but even the church itself is moving away from that interpretation in Nephi. So so that's see, that's that's cutting edge stuff. But if I'm out there with a blowhorn saying turn or burn, you all going to hell, yeah. they ain't listen they ain't listening to me. No one's listening, yeah. Right? They're not gonna talk to me, but they're talking to me and I'm talking to them because I have a genuine Love. I love the people. And in many ways, I love Joseph Smith. I love that church. I love its history. I love everything that it's about. And people, evangelicals, you don't understand. When you go to a Mormon and say, you can't be a Mormon anymore, it's like going to an Irishman and saying, you can't be Irish anymore. Yep. Or a Jewish person. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We need to accept them for who they are and where they live. They're their own culture. They're their own people group. They are their own thing. And we shouldn't be going over there and say, you need to disavow and turn your back on all, on all your family and your heritage and your history. Because I because I know what I'm talking about, because I'm an evangelical Christian, I'm, and I know you're going to hell because of this. And you know what? This guy, they never even cracked open a book of Mormon. They don't even know what it says. Yeah. So go and they know, you know, that, and they're not listening to you. Nobody, no Mormons listen to any of those people. They don't listen. All these all these Christian ministries that say, we're moving to Utah because the Lord called us to do this and blah, blah. None of them, none of them succeed. Mm. So, <laughs> they, they usually stay there for about two or three years and they move. Dang. I think going off that, it's only appropriate to talk about what are the similarities between Mormonism and Christianity and what are things that we can benefit from learning from yes. Mormons? You know, I have my friend David Boyce, who is the YouTube channel 52 Churches in 52 Weeks, and he also wrote the book uh, a few years ago. But he's doing now a YouTube version of the channel, and he never he didn't know anything about this church. He didn't know anything about Mormonism. And because uh, he literally goes to churches not knowing it. He showed up at a Seventh-day Adventist church on a Sunday morning, couldn't figure out why the parking lot was empty. That's how much he knows about these churches <laughs> when he goes and visits them, right? And 
he goes to me and he says, the one thing that really impressed me was their follow through and the dedication their missionaries have to talking with you. So I go to so many churches and they, and you would have never known that I was there. I fill in the, I fill in the card. Maybe I'll get an email or maybe I'll get a note dropped in the mail once or twice. But after that, I never hear from him again. This guy every Thursday is talking to a sister missionary on the phone. (laughs) They're talking to him. They're engaging him. Right. Um, That's a big difference. That's what he that's what he found so compelling. But also the second time he goes to an LDS church, he actually has a spiritual experience. So now he's trying to figure out what the heck's going on, Steve, because he was raised Lutheran and this isn't supposed to happen. He was actually excommunicated from his Lutheran church. So he's actually going and visiting different churches because he's trying to find a church home. If I can can pause you right there real quick, I have a question. Yeah, please. Um, so when you say yeah, they are very committed, they are very, you know, yeah. they follow through, do you think that's out of place of fear or out of place of love or maybe a combination of both since it is kind of work-based? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. You know, are these people just doing it because they're, they have the quota to meet, right? Or they're, yeah. they're supposed to be doing this in the mission field. There is some of that. But I will tell you, I grew up in the shadow of one of the largest fundamentalist churches in America, First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, which at one time had the world's largest Sunday school. And they sent out their missionaries, if you will. And they all had a quota and they were once saved, always saved. We're grace, grace, grace. <laughs> and it was all works, works, works. Yep. And so, so I also have to see whenever I do a criticism of Mormonism, if you will, if we're going to be critical, I also realize that, you know what, there's an evangelical yeah. counter. There's, there's, there's something very similar in our, our world too. See what people don't realize is that who, who believe in, in, in not works and stuff like that. What I keep on realizing is that really in one sense, they are full of works. Like they believe in once saved, always saved, or they believe in these things, but yet, they, 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 when, when I first started this, I had people say, well, you better, you better do this, or you better do that, or you better, sh- you better be careful. It's all this fear. And I'm like, I don't got to do nothing. Cause God told me, don't make any plans, Steve. You just follow my lead. I'm like, okay. So I don't live by any rules. God, God just sets the agenda for me. And so I'm not operating in works at all. Cause I don't even make any plans. I literally don't make any plans. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know who I'm going to talk to. But that's how the Lord told, showed me how th- this is how it works, Steve, and that the works. And this is what I talk to Mormons about all the time. And this resonates with them. I tell them it's not the work. And I mentioned this earlier. It's not. It, it is works. It is works. But it's the work he's doing in us, through us. That's the work. Because like what was James says, faith without works is dead. So we got our verse, too. Right. Yeah. That can be used out of context. Right. Yeah. So, but now the Lord showed me the work is not what you're actually doing. It's the work that I'm doing through you. But you, in one sense, you need to let him also do that, but come through the realization that he will work through and he will use whatever broken vessel he will, he, that that's afforded to him. He'll use it. And so we just need to be available for his, for him to do the work through us. I think that's, what's so important. <clears throat> so I have, I have another kind of um, question about like rules and everything. The Mormons, um, not quite sure how to phrase it, but kind of like, Altering their, um, altering I guess their rules about like polygamy and again, like oh, again yeah. the stuff you can like caffeine and Coca Cola yeah. as you just mentioned. Like, what is the re- like? What's the reason for that? Are they, are they trying to fit in with the modern world or are they trying not to lose their base or what's the what's the what's the reasoning on that? Yeah, you know, people don't realize that the evangelical world is a major influence on the Mormon world. Um. In the 1950s, uh, they had a, a prophet. Up until the 1940s, all the prophets had beards. The only one that didn't have a beard was their founder, Joseph Smith. <laughs> and uh, David O. McKay said, you know what, guys? We're shaving off the beards. We're wearing suits. And we're going to integrate ourselves into 1950s mainline Protestantism. We want to look like them, and that's how we want to emulate. And that's what happened. 
So they actually started radically changing everything within the church to to make it more uh, give it more mainstream appeal. So that was that's a, that's like a key thing that happened in the mid twentieth century was they pivoted from being a peculiar people that had its own Zion that everybody was supposed to come to to now an outwardly focused religion that's not so much about people moving to Utah anymore, about people sending out, you know, to 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 actually keep, keep have build a worldwide church. Because up until there was a period of time where basically you, you were supposed to move to Utah uh, at some point. That was kind of like where, how they founded the state. Then they said, no, stay where you are. And then we have this 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 pivot where they say, OK, now we're shaving off the beards. Let's let's emulate what the, the look of Protestantism. And that's kind of what the shift happened. And they integrated themselves very nicely into 1950s society. And so now we're the main baddies, the evangelicals, because we've been their main thing ever since the beginning. Right. And and so what makes this so unique is I literally come from the enemy camp and reach out, uh, uh, you know, a, a peace offering. And then that, that that that's radically altered a lot of things. It's changed the course of a lot of things. And that's that's the thing is like the most interesting thing about Mormonism is it does change because they believe that when they have a prophet, they also believe in an open canon. So in their mind, the prophet, the church could do another pivot and say, and bring back polygamy, right? Uh, there's there, there's always that possibility of change. And then in their mind, and, and see, this is the thing, in their mind, the way they see it is, yes, we do make changes, but that's God telling us, okay, this is where we need to go now. Or, okay, that was for that dispensation or that time. Now we need to move and do something different. So in their mind, the fact that there's changes that are made is not troublesome at all to a Mormon. And if anything, they're saying, look, we still are receiving revelation from God. We're still hearing from him and we have the potential to even give the world new scripture. So that, 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 that puts them in a very unique position, you know, and that differentiates themselves from just about anybody else. I'm very curious at the end of the Bible, there's a verse that says, you know, if you add or take away anything from this book, you know, not good things are going to happen. What, what, what's the perspective of like when Mormons read that, what is, what do they understand from that verse? Well, this is the thing. And I knew that was not a verse, even as a kid, I recognize that is not a verse you use against the Book of Mormon. Okay. Okay. Because first of all, when the Book of Revelation was being put together, there was still scripture that had yet to be written. Oh. Okay. And that is actually, and it's interesting because I kind of, I goofed up on my presentation of Protestant Defense of of the Book of Mormon because I I goofed up on that verse. But basically this is what it is. Uh, My friend Christopher Thomas is one of the top scholars of, of, of the Book of Revelation in the world pointed out to me that that verse, every, almost every, during this era of time, virtually every apocalyptic literature has a warning in there. Do not add or take away. And this would like be the, perhaps the book of Enoch, other apocalyptic uh, writings, maybe from the the scenes wrote, you know, uh, in Qumran or whatever, that that, that within apocalyptic literature, literature, within the tradition, they all have a warning. And it's in the apocalyptic literature in particular that that warning is there. So it does not apply to anything but that book, the book of Revelation. It does not apply to the Bible. Just so you know. So and see, this thing, I think it's important that we get our apologetics and our facts right. Yeah. Don't use that verse against the Book of Mormon because that's the answer. Mm-hmm. No. The, the, first of all, there are still books that are being have, hadn't been written yet. So how could you make declare the book the, not to add or subtract anything when there were books that hadn't even been written yet? Okay. That's a very cool insight. So would you say that? You're not allowed to, like, I guess you could alter, would that go for, like, the Bible as well then? Because you say that it's only for the book of Revelation. Would you be able to alter Mark or whatever? Because I feel like Jesus does state, I forget where I read it, but I'm reading the the one-year Bible. 
And I remember reading something about him, like saying something very similar to what John says in the book of Revelation. I can't pull it up right now off the top of my head, but I can attempt to find it. I was just wondering. This is the thing, though. This is the thing. We Protestants are guilty of adding to the Bible. We've done it. Uh, When I say that, well, I'm not saying it wasn't, it was deliberate. But we have a okay. We have a verse in First John. It's called the Yohim Koma, which is the Trinitarian verse that uses used to defend the Trinity. Right? It it talks about you know the, the, the three witnesses and all that kind of stuff. And it and that's that's the main verse that's used by Christians to defend the Trinity. The problem is is that that verse there was there was never ever a Greek man. Uh, there's no Greek manuscript that has that verse in there. It makes its way into the Latin translations about 400, 500 uh, for AD, all right? But Erasmus was, and he's, Erasmus is the forerunner to the modern Bible, right? Mm-hmm. His translation. He does not have that verse in there, right? And they're like, why isn't this verse in here? He says, well, if you can find me a Greek manuscript that has it, I'll put it in. Well, lo and behold, the monastery just down the road, we got one. This was obviously a forgery that was made. That was written in Greek. Wow. And so Erasmus puts that in there. So now we have a scripture that's not much older than the Book of Mormon. We have a manuscript, a Greek manuscript that's not much older than the Book of Mormon, making its way into our modern translations of the Bible. So we have to grapple with the fact that verses have been added to our books mm. as well. So that's where you get into this really, like the long ending of Mark, you know? That's something that was added on centuries after the fact. We have to grapple with that. So when we go after Mormons and say, well, you can't do that, we got to look at ourselves and say, well, wait, we kind of did that. Okay. And so we have to look, we have to be, we have to be, if you're, if I watched one of your shorts and uh, the, the intro trailer and one of the guys saying, we're storming Norm- Normandy and we're wearing t-shirts and blue jeans. Yeah. And I just want to see, I feel the Lord showing me that I'm supposed to reach out to youth to, so that, to make sure that you are, you know that that you can do battle in the arena, but do it in a Christ-like way too. Not about winning arguments, but to, sh- to, to and realize it's not about the gospel. It's not necessarily about me preaching the gospel. It's about me living the gospel. Amen. Yeah, through through actions and not words necessarily for sure. Um, exactly. So you obviously know all this stuff about Mormonism, about all these religions. What made you come back to? Well, 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 first of all, what brought you to atheism? You know all this stuff. Is mm-hmm. is is learning all these things about atheism and Christianity what turned you off in the first place? And is it what you brought you back at the same time? Or kind of give us a little insight onto that. Okay, so I'm going to say something, and I don't want you to be offended. Okay. okay? I know you guys had Frank Turek on. Yeah. Right. I, 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 don't, I don't agree with his approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that as an atheist, and I got into a debate with him, I would have destroyed him. I just want to let you know, I'm being frank with you. I yeah, would have yeah. destroyed Frank. I'd like to see that okay. debate. That'd be pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome. Oh, no, I don't <laughs> want that spirit again. <laughs> but, but, and I'll tell you what did it for me. Actually, what led me towards atheism was I was in my early, early to mid twenties. And I was like, and I just assumed that we have these great defenders of the faith that are, just beating the atheists and the academics and they're defending the faith and man we've got everything all of our ducks are in a row we don't have anything to worry about and they're going and they're taking the battle and we're winning and and this is early 2000s when you know evangelicalism is on the ascendancy and we're growing things are going really good you know and um 
Uh, I just remember, oh, I don't really know anything about Christian apologetics. And, and Paul said we need to have a ready answer. So I was like, I need to start studying Christian apologetics. And I remember I picked up Evidence of the, the Man's a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Yeah, good friend of Frank Dukes. Within a few minutes of me picking that up, I was like, uh, Houston, we got a problem. Because I realized right then and there, the most Christian apologetics is not about reach defending the faith to the faithless, to the atheists, and maybe other religions. It's actually there to keep Christians in Christianity. Give them just good enough answers to their questions, but not really give the answers that somebody who's in the outside, those answers would not work. And I was like, oh, no. And then I was I was kind of flabbergasted that I just assumed all along there's these great apologies and they're not it's not good. No, no, no academic, no philosopher, no intellectual takes Christian apologetics seriously. That's that's the real world we live in. So now with that realization, then that leads me into atheism in one sense, because I thought, you know, I don't know anything about atheism. Mm. Maybe I need to study atheism. And I read a ton of atheist books, still believing in God. But then I just, after, and I read the, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, you know, you had Christopher Hitchens, you had Daniel Dennett, you had, uh, um, oh, there's three or four, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins and uh, and others. And I read all their stuff. And I just remember I had this moment, a uh, deconversion moment. And I was reading uh, A Letter to a Christian Nation. And I can't, and he's a famous atheist, I can't remember his name. And he he wrote in there, because at this point I'm thinking, well, maybe I can be a progressive Christian, right? This is where I'm trying so desperately to hold on to faith, right? Maybe I can find my place as a progressive Christian. And he finally says, and for those of you who are progressives, <laughs> and you're dressing up in your little costumes, and you're doing your church, you know, he says, you just realize it's all garbage, and you know it. And you're just playing church. But he also then goes and says, and by the way, you progressives are giving cover to all the evil that religion does. You're giving it a legitimacy. Now, whoa, right? So then I thought, okay, now I'm gone. I'm done. I'm out. And that last little thing that was tethering me to Christianity was maybe I could be a progressive. And I recognize even the futility of that. And so I just said, okay, that's it. There's no God. I don't believe in it anymore. And now i got to reconstruct myself and read science and re educate myself to the ways of this world, how they really are. So now when I say, and I'm not trying to be critical of Christian apologists because in one sense, I know they're sincere and I know that they, and there are some, there are some that are getting better. There are actually some that I have some respect for. I'm not dissing them entirely, but we still have a long ways to go because I watch most, look, and this is the other thing too. Most of your, some of your biggest atheist YouTubers were evangelicals mm. they were just orthodox and as conservative as you guys raised in a biblically based home had christian parents everything like gen genetically modified skeptic perfect example he's huge raised in a very very you know uh, rock solid christian home now he's one of the biggest atheists on youtube right yep and uh so now we're losing our best and brightest see this was the thing we weren't losing youth 20 years ago like we're losing them now and that's why they want me to go on Saints Unscripted, which is the biggest youth-oriented for Mormon youth. I'm going on there next month. And uh, I don't know why I'm going on. Because the Lord just says, okay, Steve, now you're going to go on this program. 
Okay, Steve, you're gonna you're gonna be, book the big, biggest Buddhist podcaster in the world on your program, which is gonna happen in March. I guess the Lord wants me to talk to a Buddhist, right? See, so my my thing is is that now let's just start talking and having conversations. And this is the other thing: I had the biggest atheist on YouTube, Aaron Ra, come on my program. And one of the things I went to Aaron is we did a Zoom call a week before. Now Aaron's huge; he was like head of the Atheist Association. I mean, this guy's a like a bad, bad, baddie atheist. You know, he's got the goatee, he's got the long black hair. He's he looks almost devilish, right? And he's he does that. He he's there to haunt the the, the dreams of evangelicals. He's the boogeyman, right? And and I told him I get him on the Zoom call. One of the first things I told him, I said, you know what, Aaron Ra, I'm a pro atheist evangelical. Well, think about it. Even John, an atheist never heard that before. Um, and and I began, I said, you know what? Because you know what? You're taking down some charlatans and known frauds and con artists in our community. And you're taking them down and exposing them for who you are. they are. I said, we should be doing that. But the Lord's using you to do it. Nice. I said, so you're doing the Lord's work by exposing <laughs> the wolves in our camp. An atheist. You see? That's yeah. how I look, how I feel the Lord operates. But then the other thing is, I tell I tell atheists this. I say, listen, atheism is just a branch of Protestantism taken to its logical extreme. And even Christopher Hitchens says, I am an atheist of the Protestant variety. So I go to atheists and say, hey, atheists, welcome to Protestantism. <laughs> and, I, and I do this in a way, it's, I'm joking and I'm laughing, but I'm also making a point. Because I tell people, too, I said, you got to understand, atheists recognize we live in a broken world. They see the world that we live in. They recognize it's broken. And they just look at it and say, there can't be a loving God if this is the world he gave us. They're making a very Christian assessment of things in one sense, yeah, right? And they're highly influenced by a Christian worldview because atheism comes out of Western Protestant Christianity. So now we have, the, but see, this is the thing. And I, I can go to atheists and say, and I'm going to, I believe the Lord's going to have me going on atheist programs. And I'll go to atheists and say, I'll concede every argument. I'll concede every single argument you guys want to give. But then they'll be like, now let's talk about let's talk about Jesus. See, I want to bring the conversation back to him. And not about the arguments and about the theology and about all the philosophies of men. I want to bring the conversation back to him. And I I there's I was staying at a, hotel, a motel, don't be motel in Independence, Missouri, for a conference earlier this year. It was a horrible hotel. I had to book it at the last minute because I'm literally on the airplane, uh, but getting on the airplane. So I got to book this because I got nine hours of flights and I got to make sure I get a hotel room. And this is just down the road from where the Kansas City Royals play and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm in one of those hotels where it's people who live there by the week, like this is their home. Yeah. Right. Every single door in that hotel was busted open, uh, like had been busted open. My bathroom door, the door lock was busted. Why? Because somebody was probably ODing in that bathroom. A few days before. That's how bad of a hotel motel this was. I'm downstairs to get my laundry because there's no sheets on the bed. But fortunately, so this girl hands me these, doesn't even fold it. They just came out of the dryer. So at least they're warm, at least they're clean. Okay. And so I'm waiting for my laundry. And I see this African-American woman and she's not physically very well. She's not healthy. And she's in a wheelchair. And she's got this big, big, like pit bull guard dog that she's walking. And there's this young girl that I presume is her granddaughter. And the granddaughter says something to her. I didn't hear what the granddaughter said. But what the grandma said, she said, I'm blessed. She said, I'm blessed. 
Now I go to an atheist and say, what are you going to tell her? There's no God. You're not blessed. Are you going to ruin that? You're going to take that away from her? See, that's the thing. Is like when, when that lady, see, she was teaching me. She was blessed. She wasn't blessed in the flesh, right? But she was blessed, even though she lived in this terrible situation. The first word that comes out of her mouth is, I'm blessed. That's how Christianity can sustain you. And so in one sense, she blessed me because I, I just stayed there that one day. But I think that's why the Lord sent me there to stay at that hotel, motel, because he wanted me to have that moment and then take that to the atheist and say, what are you going to say? What are you going to say to her? And it's just like Christopher Hitchens. Really interesting. Christopher Hitchens was pr- 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 given a proposal. Let's say every single person on the planet no longer believes in God. We're all atheists. It's all obvious to everybody. But there's one holdout. There's one person left on the planet that still believes. Uh, Christopher, would you uh, would you approach them and and show them you know to show them that there is no God or whatever? And he said, "No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, because even Christopher Hitchens recognized the importance that faith does play in the human experience. And if there was one left, he would leave him be, because I think he felt there was something important about faith." So, so to me, this is these are the conversations I want to have with atheists. This is much more interesting yeah. to me. And also, I think because then it just goes back. Let's just let's talk about Jesus and bring it back to that. And I think that's where we can have productive conversations. I don't want to get into debates and arguments. I could do it. Not interested, but that because I think this is the much this. See, I'm more subjective. I go, I go, I go to, I go to people and say, I don't know why. I said my the old Steve Pinecker. All the reasons I would be given for, for being a Christian, or he'd be like, that doesn't hold any water. That's not a good argument. The old Steve Piner would be disagreeing with everything I'm saying right now. He did a work in me that I can't explain. And it's not about objective truth in the sense that I got back into Christianity because I read the right arguments and the right theology. I got back into Christianity because he did something in me. And it's all me telling you what I've experienced on a spiritual level. That's where it's all at. And that's how I want to reach people. And that's the other I get people to conferences now, you know. And I went to the Sunstone Conference, which is like a Mormonism meets Burning Man. It's kind of a anything goes type kind of conference. And I had, and these were fans. Fans were coming up to me. And it's weird having fans, you know. But I also would have, I would have, I had the bros who are like in their 20s and 30s say, dude, oh man, awesome. Let me get a selfie with you. You know, this is really cool. I came here just to see you. I'm like, oh, awesome. Then I'd have the middle-aged woman come up to me. And, and and almost all of them, and this is including letters I get from people, emails I get from people, women, middle-aged women, say about a year and a half ago, Steve, my shelf broke. And what does that mean? That's a Mormon term. My shelf broke. Well, in within Mormonism, there's this idea where, well, what about this one thing about Mormon history, history history of the Book of Mormon, or this issue with Mormonism? They say, you know what? Just put that on the shelf. Put that on the shelf. And then, but then the shelf gets so heavy that the shelf breaks, and that's and that's when they lose their faith. So these, I, and, and this is almost all of them say the same thing to me. About a year, year and a half ago, my shelf broke. I'm putting, trying to put back the pieces, back the pieces back together. So I don't know if I can believe in God anymore, but I watch your program because it gives me hope that I could find my way back to God. Wow, that's powerful. Well, I know I'm on the right track. You're you're addressing when the I heart problem, back. not the mind problem in a way. Almost, you're addressing well, what see, really matters. One thing I want to tell all my Calvinist. Uh, polemicists the the uh our, our debaters and our apologists this is the flesh mm. 
this is the flesh too, our minds. And so it's not just about other physical attributes of the flesh. It's also up here. And so often what I see with a lot of these Christian apologists is I can see how they get, they, oh, yeah, you're doing a really good job making an argument. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not seeing any of the fruits of the Spirit in you. I don't see Christ's love operating. I see a guy who's winning a debate or loves winning debates and maybe making some great points, but I don't see the love of Christ operating through you. See, if you're going to engage the world as a Christian, it's not. it has to be about what Christ did for you and allow him to manifest through you and witness to them that way and not try to beat them over the head and say, this is garbage, this is like the book of Satan, and I can show you why, and and I can get into all these debates with all these different groups of people. That gets us nowhere. It literally gets us nowhere. And I feel like the time has come. We've got to break through this barrier and be, look, I have the respect of one of the top atheists in the world. He respects me. A third of my audience are atheist agnostic. Think about that. And so atheists and agnostics, they don't bash me at all. And that's what I find so fascinating. But if I were to go and do the polemics and do the arguments, then I got a lot of enemies and we just get into arguments on, on message boards. I don't get into arguments. Yeah. So, I think that's the I think that's the right spirit we're supposed to have. I think that's really cool. Um what so you've gone through all these different stages in your life. What did your morality ever change? Like let's say you're a Christian, you had a certain morality, moralities based on, you know, Jesus, what he said, the Bible. You become an atheist. Where was your morality when you were in atheism? Did it still rely kind of on the Christian principles or where, like my question to atheists are always like, where does your morality come from? Why do you do good Hmm. things when there's really, if you're just atoms floating around in space, like, you know, what's the point kind of, you know, so. Well, let me put this, my my basic core values never really changed Mm. in one sense. Um, But I will say that, um, you know, and this is this is this goes hand in hand with me losing my faith, suffering terrible depression, hanging out the bars all the time, and so I will say I had multiple multiple sexual partners, okay, um, male and female. That there are a lot of women that also I would end up sleeping with because they, I have that personality that draws people, and I, I slept with a lot of women too. I, I will just tell you that's what I did, okay. That so that would be like a lifestyle thing that I went through for 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 a season. Um, and, and and even my friends would all joke saying, like, you know, you're sleeping with all these women. You're just saying you're gay so you can sleep with these women was kind of the joke they would say. That was the world that I lived in. That was what I was doing at the time. Now, that that would be one thing I would certainly say was something that I probably did indulge in a lot more of that than than I did, you know, obviously previously. So, yeah, I would say that would be like one area. But that was that's just part of my life. That's part of my past. You know, and I acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Did that, that answer go, your question? Did that go against your morality at the time, or did you think it was totally okay for you well, to do that? Well, in one sense, I would say that because I no longer believe in God, in in my sense was okay. Well, we're we're consenting adults and we're we're having fun. I kind of looked at it that way. Yeah. You know, um, I never, it never. I don't know. At the time, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Now yeah. I look back at it, and there are certain things that. I, I do recognize now, like, yeah, that was, you know, but I have been, I've actually gotten back in touch with some people that I've had in my past and reconnect with them just as friends and just say, Hey, do you, how do you feel the way I treated you? Was I respectful to you? And, and, and generally speaking, the, the feedback I get from these people are very positive. Like they, they, they were glad that they knew me and all this kind of stuff. But I, but I also recognize that, you know, I, I did damage to myself and damage to other people because when you're sleeping with a lot of people, there's just, it, it gets messy. Right. 
And so, yeah, that, that, that's one area of my life that I've never even talked about before. So I don't know why I'm sharing it with you guys, but I will say that I did, uh, that I did engage in that. I would say that that is no longer, uh, how I live my life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think this is kind of the final question I want to ask you. It'll probably take a while to answer, but okay, you obviously weren't converted back to Christianity with just facts and, you know, apologists, you know, saying all these things to you that made you believe again. You believed because you had an encounter with God. You felt it in your heart. He changed your heart. Can you tell us a little bit more on that story? What did it feel like? Did you hear something? What, how did you come back from being a hardcore, you know, atheist? Maybe not hardcore, but an atheist to believing in God again. You know, it was strange because it's actually, see again, this is all still very fresh, right? It's right around COVID times. Now I'm starting to consider going back. I'm starting to now maybe be an agnostic and I'm starting to see that maybe there's some good things of Christianity that I can grab onto, right? And I'm starting to, and I'm less hostile towards Christianity. So that's where I'm at. And then the whole COVID thing happens. And I'm sitting, at, I live in a Christian community. I'm sitting at the pool and I'm hearing these Christians talking and they're talking crazy stuff, man, like conspiracy stuff weird, weird stuff, right? I'm like, what is going on here? And you know what I saw? I saw a spirit of fear from all of them. They're all afraid. And I thought to myself, why am I not afraid? Why do I have a peace that surpasses all understanding? Which is what Christians are supposed to have during times of tribulation. That's what sets us apart. Is yeah. I remember, and I think we talked about this last week, in the old 1950s movies where they'd show the Christians about being fed to the lions. And they're singing hymns. They're, mar they're marching into the lions then singing hymns because they're about to meet their maker. They had a piece of surpassed all understanding. Now, that's probably like a Hollywood invention. But still, it illustra it's illustrative of something, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking... Why do all these Christians not have peace? And why are they so full, full of fear? And see, God told me early on in this process, he said, where there's fear, I'm not there. Ooh. And I tell people, I said, I left the village of evangelical Christianity 20 plus years ago. Right? And this is actually before I became an atheist. I left the church and then would become an atheist a few years later. I left the village 20 years ago. I come back to the village and it's on fire. My people, see? And one of the things that the Lord said, I just had this realization, oh my goodness, you know what? These people need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's how I see it, man. In one sense, I mean, look, guys, you got to understand. I mean, I see it all. There's so much fear of everything in this world. And you know what? For the last two years, I, none of that's affected me. I've had no fear, no anxiety, no stress. I, everybody else is watching Fox News and they're running around, they're frightened to death. And I'm sitting there like, man, I'm at peace. And I want everybody to feel what I feel. Yep. Christmas Day, I'm sitting on the couch here. And I'm like, I don't really feel anything. Like, I'm not really happy, but I'm not sad or mad. I'm just there. And I'm sitting there. I used to suffer from seasonal affective disorder, you know, where you're depressed during the holiday season. And I'm sitting there and I had this realization. It's like, oh my goodness. I don't feel any stress. I don't feel any anxiety. And I don't feel any depression. It was the lack of all those things in my life. It was amazing. And to just have that realization, because it's Christmas Day, and there was a time when I would be very stressed out. I wasn't feeling anything. It was a relief. So in one sense, I'm like, okay, I've experienced something. It didn't. It wasn't one of those moments where I'm, I, I go up to the altar and 
oh, you know, I want to get resaved or whatever. Mm-hmm. In one sense, I recognize now that I was his all along. He was there with See, you the whole time. I, he was with me the whole time, and I and and and, and I and I, I thought I I was an atheist, and I was, but he didn't get. I gave up on God. He didn't give up on me. He's like, okay, Steve, you're gonna you're gonna be stubborn, so we're gonna have to do this the hard way, aren't we? One of the things that he went to me too is like when I come back, he goes to me and he says, okay, now are you done with playing all these games? You done with all that? I'm like, yeah. He said, okay, you ready? I'm like, yeah. He said, okay, let's go. Boom. The next thing you know, my channel, I had 20 subscribers and I get, I, I'm on the radar screen of some of the biggest, like I'm on the radar screen of the Joe Rogan of Mormonism with 20 subscribers. I mean, it, it was that dramatically that I knew right away I was onto something. And then, but it hasn't been like, I don't have like a hundred thousand subscribers or anything, but within the Mormon world, I've got a big, what's considered a pretty big podcast now. And, and I just was doing my, looking at my numbers with my audio podcast and my YouTube channel. Oh, calendar year last year, I, I averaged about a thousand views and downloads a day. That's that that that's that start and 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 you gotta understand Mormons make up less than one percent of the population. Evangelicals make up about thirty three percent. So I tell people, so just take everything I'm doing and times it by thirty three. So it'd be the equivalent of an evangelical podcast being do- viewed and downloaded thirty three thousand times a day. So that's th- the equivalent. In that world. I think with that, we conclude that you are, in fact, a ministry and that you are, in fact, changing lives and that perfect love does drive out fear. Um, and huh? If there's anything else you want to add or, or say, maybe <laughs> if you have one piece of advice you want to give to people around our age who are struggling maybe with depression, who are struggling with sin in the world and brokenness in the world, kind of like you did, what what is your advice to them? Okay. Um, you know, again, I suffered terrible depression throughout. When I was you guys' age, you know, I, I, I was, I said, I've suffered depression for most of my life. Okay. So I know what it's like to be a teenager, but also being a teenager goes to Christian schools, who's also gay. Right. <laughs> and it has to deal with a world that basically says I'm the devil. Right. And, and there was no understanding of anything back then, you know, and so people are understanding I think now, I think your generation is the first generation that maybe sees things from a different prism. I'm not saying that you guys, I'm not asking you guys to compromise your beliefs. I'm just saying you, you have a better understanding because you probably have gay friends, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, and they're your friends. And so back in the day, people didn't have gay friends because all the gay people were in closets, right? So that's the world I grew up in. So I kind of had a really tough time. I, but I was also successful. I was on the basketball team. You know, I, I would later get involved in politics as a young man running congressional campaigns. So I was successful in one sense. But inside of me, I had this inner turmoil. So for those of you, um, you know, our, our members of the audience, you know, I just want to let you know, like, for those of you who have same-sex attraction, we'll use that term. Um, you know, I just want to tell you, hey, you, you can get through this, right? And don't uh, don't let the depression and the suicidal thoughts get to you. And just realize that, you know what, just just go to him who, for, as you are. He loves you, right? And just allow him to minister to you and work through you. Okay. Everybody's on a different journey. I'm not telling you how to live your life. I don't think we have any right to tell other people how to live their lives. It's between you and God. It's between you and him. Right. So don't try to feel like you have to do certain things or work certain ways or whatever. Just, just, just come to Christ and he will get you through whatever you're going through. And then this is in general for, for those of you who are suffering depression, this is the other thing. A lot of you Christian kids, and I'm sorry if I say kids, cause you're not really kids. You're <laughs> young people. You let, let's put it this way. You guys are like 16, 17 and 19 years old. And I noticed you got like five or six people in your in your posse, you know, uh, on, on your show. 
And, you know, I was like, statistically speaking, half of you are going to be atheists within five years. Sad. Statistically speaking. Right? That's how quickly we're losing the youth. So for those of you out there who are having faith struggles, too, that can also be a stressor in your life, too. And 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 this is the thing, like, and, 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 and even if none of you six end up leaving, right, you are all going to know somebody that you do know now who's like, wow, he's rock solid. He knows the Bible. He's got a close walk with the Lord. I I really admire him. In a, in a couple of years, that person's going to be an atheist or going to tur- turn their back on, on Christianity. That's the world that you're entering into. I want to prepare you for that. Yeah. Okay. Because you're, you're going to be shocked at the people in your lives that are, that are going to leave the faith. And you need to be prepared. And I think that's what the Lord is saying to, to, to tell your, your generation. Um, be prepared. Um, study the scriptures. Study history. Get knowledge. Get informed about the facts. Okay? And and, and don't, don't if because one of the biggest problems I see with a lot of Christians, they have a little bit of knowledge. <laughs> they have a little bit of information. And then they run with it, and then they just, they, 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 they hurt people's feelings. So you got to understand, most Mormons who leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and mo- end up becoming atheists because they see us and they're like, I don't want to be anything like them. That's why they won't consider evangelical Christianity. They just go, they just skip that step and go right into atheism. Yeah. So we've done a yeah. great disservice to those people too. So this is the thing is just be, uh, love people. Love them where they're at. Love yourself where you're at. I know I was self-loathing and hated myself greatly. And that's that that that's the key to the depression. You hate yourself and you hurt yourself. I just learn to love yourself. You'll learn to lo- love other people. And don't um and, and just and just also realize that you know these years as teenagers can be very, very fraught, very, very difficult. And you're gonna get through it. You will get through it, okay? <laughs> but that, for those of you who are suffering uh, from suicidal ideation or whatever like that, please don't do it. Um, God, God, God loves you and has a plan for you, and uh, and and just 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 fall into His grace and love, and allow Him to operate that way. And and there is a you don't there you don't have to end your life because you're going through tough times. I know that's an issue too. Well, well, that's amazing, Stephen. I thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I hope that we can continue doing this, and I think we see you as a friend. Um, and many more conversations, hopefully, to come. I think you're a very fun person to pick pick your brain. So okay, um, that's awesome. Guys, if you uh, want to see more about Stephen, go check out, I think, definitely the Mormon Stories episodes. I think those are very insightful into his life. Um, and then, obviously, just go check out his channel, see what, what he's doing over there. Um, and I think we might be on his show at some point as well, so stay tuned for that. Um, yeah, after, as soon as we uh, sign off, I'm going to give him a proposal. So. Okay, we'll see, we'll see what that is. Um, with that being said, guys, like, subscribe, comment any questions for next episode, um, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine.